things down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Admission for Real fans. Today is date of July 19th, 2011 uh, from freeadmissionfr.com. I am JP Nichols, your host for the evening, but I'm not alone tonight. I'm joined by Ben Turpin. Ben, how are you? I'm doing really good. I'm actually uh, in Louisiana right now taking care of family obligations, and I've actually been on the road now for like two and a half weeks, which is it's fine, but, uh, you know, I think I can say that uh, my bed misses me and I miss my bed, so I'm ready to get back, but uh, there's definitely been some very exciting uh, wrestling that's been going on the last, you know, two or three weeks. So I'm uh, looking forward to talking about it. Right. I mean, um, I also personally have been on the road as well. And uh, we actually had the chance to uh, get some rather good wrestling uh, just about a one weekend ago. I mean, you got to see a bit more of it live than I did in both Ring of Honor shows, which are Tag Team Turmoil 2011. And what did they decide to name the North Carolina show? No escape, because, of course, you know, Roddy was running from Generico the entire feud. Ah, makes sense. And, uh, (laughs) And of course, they've had tag team turmoil before, so we had to throw the 2011 tag on the back of that. Well, at the very least, they have not uh, thrown that too much around this year, I would say. But, uh, and also, we are going to talk about the TNA Impact Wrestling Destination X pay-per-view, which was essentially X Division One Night Stand, or uh, you could say TNA Good Wrestling One Night Stand, perhaps. And then we are going to jump into this past weekend's Money in the Bank, which was, to say the least, a fantastic show. Just an all-round great amount of good wrestling so far for July. And I guess we will jump right into the Ring of Honor shows, which, Ben, like I said, both you were at both of them, so go ahead. Yeah, I actually drove to both of these, and I drove more miles than I'm willing to admit on this show without being completely embarrassed. But um, they were good shows overall, I would say. I thought, uh, I thought everything delivered, barring the tag title match on the Friday show, and that was kind of the difference in me giving maybe that show a slight thumbs up as opposed to giving it, you know, like a thumbs in the middle, I guess. Um, the Wolves stole the weekend, that's for sure. Uh, the match on Friday with the House of Truth, 35 minutes. I have not, I can't recall. Probably I would go back to the Kings and Wolves actually from Plymouth last year, the amount of near falls that they did in this match to compare. Um, Elgin, if you are not, if, you, if you're not sold on Elgin yet, this match absolutely should convince you that he is a star. Um, and uh, he did, you know, a, uh, you know, just great power moves. Uh, actually, the next night on Caprice Coleman and uh, Cedric Alexander, he did a, you know, a, a running power slam on both of them, which I know you would lose it for. Um, and he, in this particular match with the Wolves, he did a uh, a Samoan drop and fall away slam combo and just a lot of great power moves in this match. Um, like I said, they got a ton of time, and it, it made up for that tag title match earlier, and I feel like in some instances maybe they were, um, you know, trying to uh, – to make up for that tag title match, but um, just good action. Uh, and the other thing I should mention on this show is a match that ha- was a lot better than it had any right to be and is probably better than anybody's ultimately going to give it credit for in Mike Bennett and Rhett Titus. Um, 
they got a lot of time. This match was supposed to be Chris Hero and Rhett Titus, and it's really unfortunate that that match didn't happen, especially how Rhett's kind of really coming around recently. But uh, this match really surprised me. The uh, tag, I guess the tag lottery matches were, uh, they were all good. You know, they were what you would expect. Uh, the Broados and O'Reilly and Cole was in the finals, and it was like a seven, eight-minute spot fest, but really fun. Um, and I guess I should talk a little bit about the tag title match. Did you hear about, uh, I'm sure you did, of course, Shelton Benjamin. Uh, not a good night for Shelton Benjamin. And, uh, you know, when you have level, guys at the, this level, you know, of Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, and Cole Caban and El Generico, you you just don't expect to see a match fall apart like this. Uh, but with Shelton Benjamin, he's been potent to, you know, kind of having those off nights, and this was one of those nights. And then there was a really, actually, really awkward segment afterwards where, you know, he kind of apologized to the fans, which, you know, I give him a lot of credit for. Um, but uh, I'm not really sure if you should uh, be doing something like that. And Cabana and Haas definitely weren't in favorable of it. And uh, I guess that kind of leads me a little bit into Charlotte with uh, Haas and Benjamin uh, as opposed to kind of, and I know this is something that we've talked about, uh, with Haas and Benjamin kind of, you know, uh, to still one for Mark Smith. Uh, he, uh, the honeymoon is indeed over for these two guys. Um and, you know, I'll give them it in Richmond. You know, they were against Generico and Cabana. The crowd is obviously going to be much more into those two guys, uh, you know, two most overacts in ROH. Uh, the next night against the Bravados, this was like the definition of a house show match. Um, and to say the least, nobody cared about Haas and Benjamin or the Bravados, but that's really beside the point. Uh, the most reaction they got really the entire weekend was a dueling, overrated, world's greatest tag team chance. Uh, so... But, yeah, and then the other Wolves match was O'Reilly and Cole against O'Reilly and Cole. Just um, really for 22 minutes, the match you would expect and that anybody could really want. Um, O'Reilly and uh, Richards just absolutely killed each other, um, and there's just a lot of really great spots. Too many to remember. The crowd absolutely loved it. And then I guess I'll finish it off with the cage match, which was good. I think people had too high of expectations, and I know me and you talked about this previously before when the match was kind of announced and like a week before a couple days before that I think people are going to go into this and you look at Generico and Roddy on pipe uh, and you know Roddy and Generico on paper and people expect like some like ridiculous spots you know involving the cage and they did tease a dive off the top of the cage which ultimately didn't lead to anything but what I took away from this match was other than other than it being a TNA cage match of course which means it started on the outside for like the first quarter of the match, uh, and I didn't get to see anything besides that, um, was that the work in the match was, like, super good, and it was, like, what's been missing from every Generico and, you know, Roddy match that I've ever seen, so, you know, I give them credit because it was the blow-off, so I guess this match was supposed to have the have the most, um, but, yeah, a good weekend of shows, uh, and, you know, I give them a lot of credit because if you look at these cards on paper, just... Uh, looking at the guys, like if you didn't follow ROH, you would look at these cards on paper and probably not be that impressed. But because of how ROH has handled them, that was never even a question in anyone's mind. So I give Jim Cornette or Delirious, you know, whoever's involved with the booking regime, a lot of credit for this weekend of shows. Not only for that, but because, you know, just where in the overall scheme of things, where, you know, these shows were, you know, two weeks after the NYC show and a month before the TV. So. Also, you have to factor in, I mean, coming off of, like, two talent losses, such as Homicide and Christopher Daniels, you know, to go out there and put on, like, two seemingly good shows, I mean, is also, Absolutely. you know, just a, 
you know, another good thing. How would you uh, stack up uh, the North Carolina show in comparison to past North Carolina shows over the well, last year? It, this is the best crowd that they've had at the Metrolinos, Metrolina Expo Center, uh, Building C. Um, you can't compare it to the pay-per-view one, the iPay-per-view one, because it was in another building. It had a lot of promotion behind it. It had a lot more people there. Um, but the crowd was, like, so into everything on this show that being there live, it's hard for that not to kind of come into play in your opinion of the show and how you feel about it and obviously react to certain things. I don't feel like – I feel like it was better than Tag Wars, which I still feel like Tag Wars had the best match in Charlotte of the four shows with uh, Davey and Tyler. Um, I would actually put Wolves and Cole and O'Reilly second. But um, the, uh, the, the pacing of the show was really good. Um, but I actually think January overall had the better quality matches. But I would define January as more of like one of those shows that's kind of a chore to get through because, you know, like the last three matches were like 30 minutes, 15 minutes, and 25 minutes. And so no matter how that, no matter how great the matches are, that's going to be a chore when you're watching it on DVD or if you're there live. Um, and this show, you know, on DVD, it's going to just be such a breeze. And it was a breeze to sit through live. And that's even with two intermissions, of course, to set up the cage. So, in, you know, it, it's all personal preference because this and, like, Tag Wars from August were just paced so well. Um, so, you know, if you like a good paced show, uh, you know, that's easy to watch and has good matches, this is the show for you. Um, it's not going to be a show that people are going to go out of their way to buy the DVD because, you know, there's not, like, you know, like, you know, two four-star matches and then another you know, like three and a quarter or whatever, you know, rating somebody wants to throw out there. And I guess I should give credit to Cabana and Hero because I thought they had a really good match too. Right. And these are actually, I mean, uh, the next Ring of Honor show coming up is actually in Chicago on August 13th, which will be their first TV taping for the Sinclair Broadcasting Company. And as of now, they have two matches signed in the Kings of Wrestling for World, versus the World's Greatest Tag Team for the tag titles. And recently signed today... Jay Lethal challenging El Generico in his first TV title defense. So, uh, needless to say, maybe we also need to get a world title match going there. But um, that is, I think they're uh, going to throw Elgin. I think they're going to throw Elgin in there. That would be very interesting. I mean, at the very least, Davey and Elgin have had a few matches in uh, Canada recently, if I recall. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, so, I people feel like with uh, with Lethal and Haas and Benjamin, you know, they're kind of more mainstream names. Uh, that they feel like maybe they're going to do the same thing with Davey. But uh, I feel like you should throw more of an established ROH guy into this world title match, especially already if, if you're going to start the first show with Haas and Benjamin and Kings of Wrestling. I don't think you need two more weeks of uh, throwing that idea at the wall. So I would definitely prefer, even if it's a guy like Mike Bennett or Tommaso Ciampa, which I think are matches much more down the line as opposed to on this show. But uh, I would be very excited for an Elgin match. And I'm very excited for the... the uh, Lethal and Generico, of course. I mean, especially because, actually, another thing coming off the Charlotte show that we didn't really cover entirely was the seeming possibility of an Eddie Edwards heel turn. Which, you know, and we didn't really talk about that on the Charlotte show, but uh, the finish to that match would would indicate, uh, you know, I, you know, like, Ky, you know, they played up the relationship between Kyle and Davey before the match, and then with the finish, you know, they had... Eddie keep the uh, the Achilles lock because the guy dropped the hammer. So he had the Achilles lock on. Sinclair called for the bell, but Eddie never let go. So they're kind of playing into that. And then, you know, Davey was kind of like pushing him and told him to go to the back. 
Um, and then they you know, actually, I guess they posted a video on the website of some backstage footage where Davey was quite pissed at him and was kind of pushing him away. So that would at least indicate to me that uh, an Eddie Edwards heel turn is potentially on the horizon, although I would not be the biggest fan of it. Uh, do you think there's a possibility that uh, they throw him in the House of Truth? I know that's something that uh, some people have been, uh, I don't know, talking about, I guess. I never even really made that connection, but I would I personally hope not, considering coming off that best-in-the-world ending, I mean, that was like one of the most heartfelt like post-title celebrations that I can recall. I mean, and it's quite very genuine and real. Yeah, exactly. And to just completely like tarnish that, you know, within like a two month period by having Edwards potentially turn heel and then they just completely throw that under the water, I just don't know how I would feel about it at all. Yeah, I mean when you have a really genuine moment and a big time moment like that, you just like you I mean, you're gonna tarnish it. And I, I don't think they're gonna go that direction. I think they're I, I don't know if you would define it as like it's not going to be your typical like heel turn. I don't think you're just going to have a point where, you know, Eddie says screw it and I'm just going to he's going to beat up Davey, you know, after like a tag match or it's going to leave during a tag match. I don't think it's going to be traditional because I think they're, that's the direction they're taking. And ver- this storyline was just very much real, the one that they did in Charlotte. So I'm hoping that they like continue that direction. And you know, if it is a heel turn, it's not like a traditional one. So. Maybe, you know, but of course, I don't know where that leaves Eddie because I don't think a heel turn is going to help him at all. But I have to agree. I mean, you know, certainly some interesting things going on in Ring of Honor right now. But that said, we got to move down to Florida for our next bit of coverage in TNA Impact Wrestling's Destination X 2011, which, Ben, this was actually your first time in the Impact Zone. Uh, this was my first time in Impact Zone, and I had just I had just driven, as I said, many many miles from uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, to Richmond and Charlotte. So I come home, I literally slept for four hours. I got up and I was on my way to Orlando, and I made it there by two or three in the afternoon. And then I got to stand in line all day, which um, I'll say this: all in all, I had a great time because anytime you know I get to socialize with like other wrestling fans. And just really cool people like the guys I got to hang out with, you know, Mark Ollers and Crystal and you. And, of course, now I'm going to leave people out. I got to meet Richard Triampo, Jacob. Uh, you know, it, that's a fun time for me. And Jacob was kind of pointing out, you know, the, the, the line kind of, you know, because it was my first experience. What, you know, how would I, you know, like talk about, you know, such a thing. And then I think because I've, like, I'm so aware of what, like, the process is like, you know, coming in to, like, you know, Universal. And I know that you, I know you guys, and I've known, you know, since, you know, they started running Universal, that people have to wait in line all day. That's just, like, a common kind of, like, you know, that's how it is. So that didn't really surprise me or bother me too much. Um, and then I thought the show, you know, for TNA, it was, a, it was a fine show. But um, you would be a lot better to kind of compare the crowds. But this was, you know, supposedly a much more heated crowd than, like, your typical TNA show, I guess. Right. With that said, let's actually get into this show. We opened the show with Joe Kazarian, which actually was the hottest I have seen a crowd for Mojo in quite some time. And it was actually like the most effort I have seen him put in a match in quite a while. It was a good match, I thought. I mean, of course, uh, tarnished by, unfortunately, the uh, typical roll-up finish, you know, which came out of nowhere. 
But overall, a good match, I thought. I mean, yeah, it, it's it certainly ex- exceeded my expectations. Um, and there was, you know, it was a re- it was a good opener. Uh, but then you had the TNA finish. So when you come to a TNA show, you have to you have to expect that, and you have to accept it for what it is. And um, but it, you know, it exceeded my expectations. Right, right. I mean, um, like I said, it just is really flooring. I mean, it, it's been a topic that has been in discussion for such a long time now with Samoa Joe, considering, you know, at this point five years ago, he was the hottest thing in wrestling. Sure. And here he is after five years of, uh, as he would say, like uh, back in Ring of Honor, after tripping over bad booking. Um, and now he still was probably the most overact on the show, or certainly one of the top two, I would say. And then it's just like they really don't know what they're doing with them. It's quite a shame. Well, you know, it's TNA where, you know, logic is illogical. So if they were going to push this guy, that wouldn't make sense. So, or actually it would make sense. So in turn, that wouldn't be TNA. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, Joe, you know, I think I spoke my piece about Joe on the show before in terms of, my fandom and where it is now. I mean, if it wasn't for Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, who, you know, were in the main event, uh, I very well might not be a fan today, you know, or follow the product to, to, to near the level that I do. So, you know, for a guy like Joe who had so much steam, he was the hottest free agent, as they call, you know, call people coming into TNA at the time. And he had some amazing matches. And then, uh, you know, now it's just, uh, you know, that time where he was so hot in ROH and first going into TNA is so like small, like the time period compared to this kind of state that he's been in now for like four years that I don't see it changing. So like, it's just going to add up the years. And unfortunately what I think is going to happen is people are just almost like going to forget, you know, Joe was awesome at one point, but uh, now he's in TNA and TNA, you know, that's where careers go to die. So I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, of course. Vintage Sean <laughs> but um, and then following that we had the Doug Williams Open Challenge, which I will say the moment that was announced on Thursday, it sparked quite quite a bit of discussion. You had names that people were talking about from anywhere from T.J. Perkins to Zach Saber Jr. to at least in my opinion the best possibility of Kurt Angle, and instead we got Mark Haskins. I mean, well, at least got- you remembered his name because I certainly hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I personally have not seen much of his work. I mean, I've heard he's a good. I mean, I know he's toured with Dragon Gate. I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know, I, like uh, I know that he's supposedly you know a pretty enjoyable talent, and they scouted him on one of the recent uh, the recent UK tour and signed him because of that. And this was his uh, debut match, at least on TV for the company. And boy. Way to leave an impression. That's yeah, way to leave an impression. <laughs> and, I mean, although, you know, I assume he probably performed better technically on the tour, but uh, maybe he didn't. And, you know, for TNA standards, you know, he fits right in So uh, with a performance like this. So, um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, Jacob and a couple of other you guys were saying this is like pretty much uh, the end of uh, Mark Haskins or See, I've already forgot his name again. Uh, that's how <laughs> he'll be billed on future shows as the guy who managed to have a less than stellar match with Douglas Williams. Very hard feat. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, you know, a big Doug Williams fan. I was, and I was obviously, I think everybody was collectively disappointed to see this guy, but you know, we were kind of open, uh, 
he's kind of uh, what is character? I think it reminded me of like John Morrison or something. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think we went in with an open mind, and then he just uh, really fell flat on his face. It's too bad, but uh, I thought John Morrison mixed with Rhett Titus personally. I mean, like. <laughs> That was like the mixture that I got, only uh, certainly, I mean, far below the performances that those two uh, decide to put out, usually. Certainly, certainly. And then, following that, after a priorly, I forgot to mention, a pre-taped segment involving Eric Young, Curry Man, Suicide, and San Griepto, where Eric Young managed to get Shark Boy as a tag team partner for an upcoming match, which is now... This match, them versus Generation Me, and Generation Me's swan song from TNA. And I could be incorrect, but you made an appearance during the video, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I had to get in line for my, my Sangrietto, Suicide, and Curry Man autographs. It would have been a lot better if they had Christopher Daniels sitting there. Yeah, I mean, you know, Christopher Daniels and Kazarian. And Amazing Red, actually. <laughs> it would have been amazing. <laughs> But uh, with that said, um, I honestly did not mind this match. Like, I thought it was fine. I mean, it was, uh, in comparison to what the Young Bucks apparently claimed, what their matches were going to be prior to their release, which uh, they claimed they were either going to face either the Cutler Brothers of PWG fame or Beer Money, this was certainly a far cry from both of those options. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it was not my most hated thing on the show. thought it was okay. Uh, Eric it, Young actually worked, which was a surprise. <laughs> it was perfectly acceptable. And, I mean, Shark Boy, you know, he's always been a perfectly acceptable act. Um, of course, when you do these types of angles and then, you know, it's like, oh, who's Eric Young's partner going to be? And then it's Shark Boy or, you know, Mark Haskins or the guy that fell flat on his face or had a bad match with Doug Williams, you're obviously going to be disappointed um, to some level, but you know the mat the match was fine. You know, it was acceptable, and uh, you know Eric Young is Eric Young. He's another guy who I know you have obviously a disdain for, and you didn't say anything negative in your feedback there. So I'm. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, well, he didn't do too much of his comedy shtick. He actually worked, and when he works, right. I enjoy him. When he decides to stall and whatnot, not so much. But uh, like I said, you know, it was a fine. I mean. And considering that the Bucks ended up getting released the day after, you know, it's not like I'm upset over it. So Yeah, the final uh, Young Bucks match in TNA, so I got to be witness of that live. <laughs> Indeed. And then we moved on to the Ultimate X, which was Alex Shelley and Amazing Red, Robbie E. and Shannon Moore, which was, yet again, you know, uh, well, actually a good match. I not as good as it, you know, maybe could have been by Ultimate X standards, but I thought it was fine. Yeah, I had pretty limited expectations for this, so I would say they surpassed them, uh, and uh, the right the right guy won, which, uh, you know, can uh, leave you with a happy feeling after the match, uh, whether, you know, you consider it just okay or good or whatever it may be. But, um, you know, for its spot on the card as well, I think maybe if they had to hold back a little bit, which I'm either, I'm kind of not, like, on board with, you know, kind of, it it all depends, and I mean, I think that was a debate that some people kind of threw out there was that, oh, you know, because it was, you know, fourth on the card, you know, and they still had the four-way to go on AJ and Daniels, and the title change later in the show that maybe they wouldn't get to do as much, but I thought, they got like, what, like 13, 15 minutes, and I thought it was, it, it surpassed my expectations again, so, I mean, at this point, we're already like, you know, 
I mean, I didn't really have expectations for, you know, Doug Williams or, you know, the previous tag match. So at this point, we're like, you know, two and a half out of three, you know, in terms of surpassing my expectations. So I was feeling pretty good about this show overall. Right. I mean, and uh, I have to say, I mean, you know, Shelly and Red, they brought the goods. Uh, Shannon Moore was fine. In fact, I thought Moore did better than what he uh, usually does, at least uh, based on his uh, previous TNA performances. And Robbie E., his... uh, Selling, to say the least, was a sight to behold. <laughs> Pretty much sums him up. And uh, Alex Shelley winning was certainly the right choice. I mean, and having uh, Saban come out to celebrate with him was a nice touch, I thought. So. Yes, and uh, this is leading to what appears to be, uh, and not to spoil the match later, I'm sure everybody listening to this already knows, but Austin Aries and Alex Shelley, which has me very excited. Absolutely. I mean, uh, continuing along, actually... The next match, if I recall, was actually the main reason why you got super interested in the show, and that was Rod Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn. Yeah, this is a match that, um, it's uh, no matter how it turned out, I felt it it was going to be very special, because this is a match that they've been trying to do for, what, 10 years now, since Guiltiest Charge 2001 in ECW, and I mean, I can name like a handful of times that this match was supposed to happen, and ROH was just dying to make this match at one point. It was supposed to happen on Hardcore just this last year, and uh, for whatever reason, just the cards didn't fall into place, and uh, so I was, you know, really looking forward to this match. This, along with the four-way and, you know, AJ Dane, but this is really the four-way with what sold me on the show. So, yeah, that was a correct assessment, as you said. And um, I, the match started super slow, and it was pretty much Jerry Lynn working himself. Um, but it turned into a pretty good match, and I thought it was actually a Van Daminator away from being a really good match. So I, I give Jerry Lynn a lot of credit. I'll say that. Rob Van Dam is Rob Van Dam in 2011. He's not particularly ever going to show up. I thought if there was going to be one match where he was going to show up, this would be the one. I can't say that he particularly did that, but it was good enough to make me happy. Also has to be mentioned, Jerry Lynn, 48 years old, coming off a of back surgery, outperformed <laughs> basically the entire roster. <laughs> or at least the majority of it, I would say. Yeah, well, Jerry Lynn is, um, you know, he's, he's something else. And, uh, you know, we talked about ROH. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he was going to be around sooner or later back in ROH, at least in maybe a backstage role or something. But uh, he uh, he's, a, he's a freak. I mean, for a guy to, you know, come off back surgery and be that age. And, I mean, he looked the exact same, and he, he worked his ass off. So, you know, he's a guy that I respect tremendously. Exactly. I mean, like, uh, this match, you know, I thought it was good for what it was. I mean, uh like you said, it was a couple near falls away from being something that could have been like seen as really, really good. I mean, right. and it, but the sad thing was, was like the near falls towards the end were actually really awesome. Like the leg drop chair spot, and then the fantastic sunset flip power bomb, which sent RVD like two thirds of the way across the ring. I just went wild for, and yeah, that I mean, just sort of ended. They, they had go ahead, sorry. Oh no, I was just saying that the match just sort of ended after that. Right, yeah, and I mean, I give him credit because I thought when the chair got involved, there was going to be some kind of iffy finish, because it is TNA after all, and uh, instead they just kind of let it come into play, and the referee acknowledged it, but the spots that they did never really warranted a disqualification, so I give him credit with that, uh, and it made a lot of sense, and you know, I was fine with it, um, and I'm I'm really glad I got to see this match, so. Right, and uh, 
then uh, actually we are going into easily, in my opinion, the best match of the show, which was Loki versus Shima Zion on this show known as Zima Ion, Jack Evans and Austin Aries in their match to win a TNA contract. And this was awesome. Yes, to, probably, to, say the, to say the least. Go ahead. Probably the most, I mean, at the very least with me, probably the most enjoyable, like, match of this type, I would say, since the Kota Bushi four-way last, uh, at King of Trios two years ago. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, um, and, you know, I mean, I definitely would agree with that sentiment. I haven't, you know, and it was so refreshing when they did that first three-way on, on Impact with Aries and Rave and Kid Cash. It was like, wow, like, when was the last time that TNA had this type of match on TV? And, you know, me and Jacob were actually talking about this. How, like, you know, he was asking me, because I, I, you know, when I talked a little bit about my experience at the beginning of us talking about, you know, this show, I felt, you know, would would I come back? And I said I would definitely not come back. But, you know, if they were to throw together another show like this, and what what are the odds that of the 12 guys that they brought in, that they picked probably the, the best four from from those 12 and put them on pay-per-view and give them 15 minutes and have, you know, just probably the best four guys in terms of mixed style as well to have a great match. I mean, is that a fluke or do you think there was like, you know, they actually, well, when, when, when you look at the uh, other um, eight guys that they had, I mean, Kid Cash, obviously they brought in for Hardcore Justice last year. Jimmy Rave right now is looking, uh, you know, probably in the best shape of his life. Unfortunately, that was not able to be seen due to them putting him in his rock and rave attire. <laughs> um, Dakota Darso, he, well, he was probably 13th best out of the 12. Um, uh, Azrael, who I didn't even recognize, you know. <laughs> he wished me a happy birthday the other day on my Facebook wall. I saw that. <laughs> I went wild. <laughs> I was like, Israel, wish you happy birthday. I just completely... <laughs> and he told me to have a good birthday weekend. Yep, yep. Incredible, truthfully. I mean, um, uh, Jimmy Yang, who looked really good. Um, Matt Bentley, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys that definitely came from the dead, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then the other two, uh, Mark Smith's favorite, Tony Neese, who looked really good. And then... Jesse Sorensen, a Team 3D student, who I thought was really impressive. It was really the wild card that showed up, you know. Right. There was like right. guess, two or three in the in the 12, and uh, he definitely, of course, uh, being a Team 3D guy is going to help him, but, uh, you know, he looked way too good for TNA. So. Right. You know, certainly the better Jesse coming out of the Team 3D school, I would say. That's for sure. But, yeah, I mean, the match was just... It was just, I mean, you know, spot city. Um, but, like, it was, they were really spaced out, and it was just so well done. Nothing was botched, and it's very easy for when you have a match like this that something is going to screw up. Um, but that was not the case. And this match, along with some of the stuff that we'll talk about when we talk about Money in the Bank, and I think I posted this on Twitter, but this was a real indication to me, this type of match happening on pay-per-view with these four guys, and then what happened with, you know, CM Punk and then Money in the Bank is a real indication to me that the idea of, you know, like real, like, you know, professional wrestling, you know, people like to say that it's dead because of how maybe, you know, the mainstream products are booked or how they're presented or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, like the last month has definitely should have opened some eyes. 
Um, and this match was definitely the start of that trend. Certainly, certainly. I mean, I do have to say, I mean, coming into this, Aries was personally my top pick to win the whole thing. I mean, Zion and Evans, I thought were about equal. Since at the very least, Zion, you know, had they had a name ready for him. Evans, you know, they could uh, work something out with AAA. Loki had absolutely no expectation for them to sign. So, you know, ironically enough, he took the fall in this match. He did. And I, I mean, I'll say I'm very excited for, you know, that Austin Aries won this match. Uh, you know, I think we pretty much could have eliminated Jack Evans and Loki. I think Loki was probably the one that had the least, you know, chance of winning. But, um, you know, and then Aries wins. And I also thought his promo in, earlier in the night was amazing, by the way, um, as are most, you know, Austin Aries promos nowadays. Um, but now, you know, he's feuding with Alex Shelley and he's already cheating. I think he used to chain against Shannon Moore on impact, which I'm not particularly a fan of, but, uh, he is a heel. So I guess he has to cheat. I don't know. Right. You know, um, and then, uh, uh one notable, majorly notable thing about this match was, uh, of course, uh, the match opened with an everybody chant, uh, yeah. started by one free admission for real listener, DD Francic, <laughs> which, uh, needless to say, got some, uh, uh, both love and hate, you know, from uh, pay-per-view viewers, although I personally thought uh, I loved it. And, yeah, uh, that was something we really didn't talk about was that this was the crowd was kind of polarizing because, um, you know, we came home and got online and people were, like, really hating on the crowd. And they were like, man, this, this crowd destroyed the show. And I was just kind of, like, blown away by that. And people, like, completely took it the wrong way. But I think it was more of one of those instances where it's, like, TNA, so it's TNA, we got to shit on it. It was more one of those rather than taking it for what it was, and I loved it as well. Right. And then uh, the match ended, you know, with the crowd chanting, sign them all. And uh, it has now been mentioned in the past week that Tina is looking to sign more X-Division talents. I mean, they actually did sign Kid Cash last week. Well, so. of, of the 12 guys, who who are the two oldest? Austin Aries and Kid Cash, um, which, <laughs> you know, is... <laughs> Kid Cash, 41 years old. <laughs> do have to put over uh, one post on uh, the infamous board saying that his name should be changed to Dude Cash, which, which clearly got a pop out of Kevin Steen as well. I noticed that. I was like, oh, so Kevin Steen reads the board. Amazing. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, it was safe. I mean, if it means that they're going to start going more uh, towards signing more exhibition talents, I'm all for it. You know, as long as they decide to showcase them. Of course, and, they just uh, like go at Jay Lethal, we have to mention. Right, right. Yeah. And on note of that, we have to move towards the pre- the prestigious X-Division title match, which was Abyss defending against Brian Kendrick. Oof. Well, <laughs> I was actually fine with this live, because I thought the overbooking needed to happen, and I thought it was well executed. So... In that sense, it was fine, and I'm not going to try to bury it too much. But. Right, right. I, well, in the same way, it's just like, you know, I know uh, a few people hated this more than I did. I personally, well, I didn't care about this match to begin with. So, oh, like, anything that happened during it, it was just, you know, inconsequential to me. Well, that was a clear indication from the crowd who, you know. Well, I mean, well, yeah, someone yelled at Abyss. No one likes you, Abyss. Nobody, you know, should uh, <laughs> should definitely indicate how people felt. Yes, and it was 
very clear as well. So uh, that's an indication as well as to how quiet the crowd was. Um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, Brian Kendrick got his win. That's pretty much all that can be said about it. <laughs> yeah, they they tried to make it a big deal. Um, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, got an endless supply of confetti now filling the impact zone after you know impact uh, impact zone confetti that has been sitting there since 2005 more or less. <laughs> Well, that, that was fun uh, to see that. I've never been to a live wrestling show where they did the confetti stream, so. Yeah, so uh, there you go, at the very least. <laughs> and then we got our... Certainly the highlight of the match, I'll say. Oh, Other yes, than uh, ending, of course. I was going to say, ending was probably the best highlight. <laughs> but um, then we got to our main event of the evening, which was AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels, which is were regularly hyping up throughout the show by showing previous clips of their matches, everything from Unbreakable to their tag title victory over America's Most Wanted, to uh, their world title match that they had at the end of 2009, which was the last time that the two of them faced off. So, I mean, this match had a lot of expectations to live up to, and I personally thought it was a good match. I know a lot of people uh, that watched the show live uh, on TV, that is, thought it was a really good match. Some did, um, but I don't think it met the expectations that many people had for it. Yeah, yeah, it certainly fell below those expectations. Um, I felt like in a lot of people, you know, as you mentioned, they saw it on pay-per-view and they thought probably the crowd was a big detractor of the match. But I just personally didn't think it was anything special. And I think Daniels was the one that came out with the concussion of this match. And there live, we were convinced that AJ was the one that had the concussion or some sort of problem. Um, but they worked a really kind of uh, – it was really well worked. I just thought um, – when they got, when they were finally maybe, and I think it was a combination of the crowd being burnt out as well. Um, but I don't think that was completely it. Uh, that was, you know, more of just kind of the build of the match itself. And it was really long. Would they get like 30 minutes or a little over 30 minutes? Um, yeah, it was about 28, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So just about, just that 30 minutes. Um, and then when he did the big forearm, the diving forearm, which he's probably missed how many times lifetime? Never. Um, probably count on one hand. Right. Maybe and, not. I felt like that was their chance to really get the crowd into it. And then it was just like, ugh, you know, and it it didn't do the match any favors later on. So that was really the start of, in terms of crowd. And then, you know, it was a good match, but it just, it didn't get anywhere near the level of some of the previous stuff. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I think another factor with it was just the fact that, um, it didn't really have a lot of heat to it in the sense that it was just a match to essentially have a match. I mean, like, uh, at the very least... like a 28-minute house show match? Right. (laughs) But, I mean, like, at the very least, their matches in the past, you at least have some type of dynamic, you know, with Daniels, you know, usually usually being the heel in their matches. I mean, um, but this did not have that. I mean, it seemed in a sense they were uh, sort of trying to go for a similar build towards the match that actually... uh, Davey and Eddie did at Best in the World. At least I sort of felt that way, like uh, the way that they worked it. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, they were continuing kind of like they were so familiar with each other that, you know, especially like the first, like, 15 minutes, that's like what the entire match was about is kind of them mirroring each other, which was cool. And But just it never got – and like I said, when they went for the, when AJ went for the forearm, I felt like maybe the crowd was, like, going to start getting into it at that point, and then it just didn't do it any favors for later on. Um, but yeah, they kind of mirrored each other for like the first 15 minutes and 
they did some like really kind of unique stuff in a way, which I can really appreciate. But um, sometimes maybe the crowd doesn't understand that stuff, so they're not maybe getting into it at the level that you would hope. And that was actually kind of the problem with Eddie and Davey, I thought, especially at the end, obviously. Right, right. I mean, but uh, overall, I would say, I mean, you know, it was a good show. I mean, certainly probably going to be TNA's pay-per-view of the year. I mean, like, I would probably say, like, a, you know, high 7 out of 10, maybe close to an 8. I mean, but uh, it probably not the show that it could have been, but with that said, still a good show. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can only, you know, resist those uh, sentiments uh, in that, uh, you know, it was good, but I felt like, and actually, a lot of things probably surpassed a little bit of my expectations, but then the main event, I think if the main event had been great, overall, I would have probably been higher on the show. Um, so it wasn't as good as it should have been. I think that's the best way to describe it. Right. But it was still good, of course. But uh, to, uh, I mean, for our final show that we are going to cover on note of something that was as good as it should have been, this was something that probably was better than it should have been. It should have been. <laughs> <laughs> this was Money in the Bank, which was this past Sunday, headlined by the now infamous CM Punk versus John Cena match for the WWE Championship. This show was, I mean, incredible in every sense yeah, of the word. Absolutely. And I mean, I think um, I think let's jump into the main event first, and then we'll kind of work backwards, or maybe start at the beginning after the main event. But with the main event, I, you know... It had the Chicago dynamic, CM Punk, you know, and coming in, like, I thought the angle that they did on Raw is arguably the best go-home promo that they've ever done going into a pay-per-view. Um, you know, obviously the entrances, the crowd being immensely into Punk, uh, being immensely against Cena. Um, and then, you know, coming into the show, I would have said there was a slight possibility that they would have went with the finish that they did, and that was the finish I was hoping, where Punk would just leave through the crowd with the title, and I would admit... It's sixty four ninety nine. The price tag is worth, you know, a pay per view is worth that, you know, that price tag. Um, but never in my wildest dreams did I expect them to have this type of match of just thirty three minutes and the heat. I mean, the heat was just consistent throughout, um, and the match just completely blew me away. Absolutely. I mean, like. Uh... It has to be noted as well that uh, Chavo Guerrero actually made a, a big post uh, like about the day before this show, like basically challenging John Cena to bring the work because he knew that Punk would, but he was not uh, for sure in Cena. But I certainly have to say that both men deserve like the highest amount of uh, positivity and respect for both of their performances in this because, I mean, this was... I really couldn't picture like anyone else being put in this type of match and delivering the way that these two did. Yeah, and I mean, Chavo, you know, he talked about, you know, Cena kind of uh, showing up maybe, but not putting on the same type of match that he does every other show. And uh, he certainly didn't do that. And I mean, just the storytelling, uh, the amount that they got in, I mean, this was very much something that you're only generally going to get at a WrestleMania, and not only at WrestleMania, but in the top spot at a WrestleMania. You know, because so many times they're like, really, especially now, like they're so kind of in this mood of, you know, we have to pace the show well and kind of build to the main event. Um, and, you know, that's at a WrestleMania, of course. And that like one spot, which is usually, you know, Triple H or Shawn Michaels or The Undertaker, is the only match that's ever going to get these amount of near falls, this amount of moves in, that amount of time. But they got it here and they delivered in spades. And hopefully 
it means, you know, maybe they'll try, you know, to give more main events this type of, uh, you know, this type of treatment, I guess. Um, and I hopefully, you know, I guess because of Punk's, you know, you know, build up to the match, maybe they felt that, uh, you know, maybe they did feel like more eyes were going to be on this match. So, you know, I give them credit for, you know, letting them go out there and just have, you know, just going all out, you know, and you don't see that every show, so. Certainly. Uh, I also have to make note that uh, I, one of my friends, also another free Mission for Real listener, Jake Spacetta, the point that John Cena might need a new finisher after this show because <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen someone kick out of the attitude adjustment as many times as Punk did tonight. Sure, <laughs> and and I think um, we we almost lost you during this match as well. I think there were many points, and also myself. Uh, most notably, I think the first one was when Cena had the STFU or STF on Punk, and he immediately reversed into the the Anaconda device, and I was just absolutely out of my seat at this point and somehow I didn't like go through the roof but uh tell us about some of your like mark out moments I guess during this uh this uh historic match. I have to entirely agree. <laughs> On top of the fact uh when at very many points um Punk managed to have Cena on the top rope and I was anxiously awaiting the infamous Pepsi plunge which we did not get but uh, I will let that slide to say the least. The type of match I feel like there was some like inner like punk that was like teasing that on at least like three occasions where he teased it. Um, but as you said, we ultimately didn't get it. Right. And then I also uh, have to give them props for the type of ending they went because it it was briefly teased so we would get another Montreal with Vince uh, bringing out uh, John Laurinaitis, the internet's favorite. Uh, to uh, bring the belt and whatnot, and then John Cena did what probably many internet fans have wanted to do for a long time and just decked Johnny Ace square in the face. <laughs> I mean, um, which was in a funny in a funny way, uh, their own way of like uh, writing off one of the more popularly predicted endings for this match, and they were just saying, you know, nope, we're not doing this. And then even in the post match, you know, where everyone was expecting. Uh, Oh, well, Punk will win, and Del Rio will come out and cash in. Del Rio comes out, Punk beats him up. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's exactly how you do a swerve. I mean, it was just great, and it worked out perfect. <laughs> you just take what everyone predicts and punch it right in the face. <laughs> like, pretty much the way I would sum it up. Absolutely. Um, I mean, needless to say, you know, as great as this match was, which is at least at this point probably my pick for match of the year, I would say there was still a bunch of other great stuff on this show between both Money in the Bank matches and actually Christian Orton and even an enjoyable Mercury and Big Show match. Yeah, um, you know, I, one more thing on Punk and Cena because we we related it to Davey and Eddie previously, but you know a lot of people and you know how I feel about star ratings. You know, um, sometimes I throw them out there. I think they're kind of funny, but. Um, People, you know, Eddie Davey, five stars. But then they rate this match, and they're like, well, it had a few botches. As if Eddie and Davey didn't have any insignificant botches early in that match as well. That had, you know, no effect on the finish. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, to just kind of, you know, agree with that sentiment that this was absolutely, like, match of the year. I don't think anything's going to come close. So, And I don't think Eddie Davey was close, actually. But, yeah, yeah I mean... Really- have to agree. I mean, simply based, I mean, on top of the work itself, the emotion in this match. I mean, I right. mean, uh, 
like the, the emotion, the drama. I mean, it just personally, in my opinion, like I felt certainly there was emotion in the post match of Davey and Eddie, but I didn't necessarily feel the emotion come through entirely in the match itself. I mean, more so the drama, I suppose. But uh, this match literally had everything that should make a wrestling fan uh, be proud to be a wrestling fan. Absolutely. And, I mean, as far as, you know, the rest of the show, I mean, uh, we got two great Money in the Bank matches, or, you know, a really good one and then, you know, a good one. Um, And I know you heard a lot, uh, Mark Henry and Big Show, which was perfectly acceptable. But um, in many ways, I mean, these two guys... It doesn't matter what they do. I'm just never going to care. And I don't want to say that they don't, like, have a place in the company because they more than have a place as, like, monsters. And, you know, they deserve to be there in their spot because, you know, they put in the years, I guess, in the time. But, uh, like, I just – I don't care, you know. it's I I really have to credit it to build because, obviously, like, if you were to have told me a year ago that I would actually be looking forward to a match between Big Show and Mark Henry. Right. I would not have believed it whatsoever. But based off the build of just two general monsters doing everything they can to just beat the crap out of each other, and then right. the way that the match went with them just immediately going after each other and beating the crap out of each other, to even the ending where Mark Henry had to world strong slam Big Show twice and then hit him with a big splash in order to win. And then even the post-match where he uh, dropped the knee on the chair of Big Show, I just went, I- I'm sorry. Like, that type of thing just gets me going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was perfectly acceptable for the spot on the card as well. I mean, if you want to have, you know, kind of a buffer match as well. You know, people clearly aren't going to be into this, no matter how great the build is. It's Mark Henry and Big Show. But, I mean, yeah, booking-wise and just the match that they had was, you know, like, it's not, like, great. Or, or maybe it is great in terms of uh, what they were going for, you know? Like, we talk so much about, you know, star ratings, and, you know, these guys were supposed to go out there and kind of have, you know, a, a you know, big man type of match and just go right at it in terms of the story and five stars, you know? But, um you know, the one thing about this is I, I believe it was two months ago that Big Show got ran over by a car, and he was back from that injury in, like, two weeks. So the chair is clearly going to have no effect on this guy, right? He was on Raw Monday? No? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was not on Raw. I mean, I have not seen this, uh, fully entirely seen the SmackDown spoilers for tonight. Oh, but, okay. Well, he's on SmackDown. There you go. <laughs> right, right. I mean, uh, but... um. I mean, uh, oh wait, no, he is on Raw. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm like the the brands are so insignificant at points that I forget these things. <laughs> well, they're but well, until of course they need to sell a pay per view, then it's not, then it's very significant because we have Raw versus right. SmackDown, of course. But of course, every but, other uh, week, not of course. Right. I mean, uh, with that said, though, SmackDown Money in the Bank, I personally was a big fan of, and I was actually anticipating it more than the Raw one, simply based off the oh, fact yeah. that you had, I mean, at least, with, I mean, you know, obviously got Kane in there, but at least over half the competitors were talents that were looking to essentially have a, not, well, essentially a breakout performance. You know, you had Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, Wade Barry, who are all fresh off the, the core expansion who are uh, looking to further in singles careers and such. Uh, you had uh, Sin Cara, who will now not be seen for 30 days. Yeah. A true uh, breakout performance on this show. <laughs> exactly. I will say, though, I'm super pumped for the Mystigo gear. <laughs> yes. Like, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, it was just a way to, uh, I suppose, uh, go out in style. Um, yeah, but, I, uh, I, was, I was stunned by, like, half the people in this match because – 
like there's so many guys in it. Like I'm, you know, like I'll watch Raw and I'll see the, you know, the graphic and I'll see like Sheamus and some Carr and Danielson. And then like they were doing the entrances and coming out and I was like, they just kept coming. And then it was like Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel. And like, I couldn't believe that they were in this match, but yeah, this match was awesome for the opener. And I mean, they got 25 minutes. Everybody got great spots in. And this was so much cleaner than the Raw match. Like where every like, raw spot felt like a disaster was about to happen and here was just so much cleaner so and it was a lot better and the spots were a lot cooler so because they were uh like the way that the smackdown one went it was like about each guy you know trying to do their own thing while in the raw one it to me it felt more like uh each person was just trying to utilize the ladder to the best of their ability and like the coolest looking spots i suppose you could say right but um Needless to say, this one was better, and the winner, really, and uh, uh, Daniel Bryan, also known as Bryan Danielson, winning the match, actually by ending Wade Barrett with the infamous elbows on t- on the ladder, which personally had me going wild. Now, does he use this often on, like, SmackDown, or? Uh, not to my recollection. Okay, because, least. like, the crowd was really responding to it well, because... Now, naturally, I was, like, out of my seat when he started doing the elbows. If I wasn't at already any other points in the match, which there were plenty of points to do that for. But, um, yeah, this was uh, really exciting to see him use the elbows. And, uh, I, to my knowledge, it was the first time he did it. So I was just really surprised that the crowd was, like, really reacting well to it. And then he won. And I think that was um, that one definitely, you know, broke the Internet, almost. Like, uh, it also has to be said regarding the show. I mean, because it was in Chicago. I mean, obviously, due to the punk nature. For as much hugging as we do on Chicago for uh, the Ring of Honor crowd, when they go, when WWE is in Chicago, they are regularly awesome. I just yeah. have to say that. Well, and when we do, when we do crap on Chicago, it's Chicago Ridge. So maybe there's a slight difference, but I most certainly agree. And we have to give them a ton of credit for being absolutely fantastic on this night and uh, adding a completely another element to the main event, which is something that. Uh, is missing a lot of the time, especially in 2011. Right. And a match, a match that is really getting kind of not so much overlooked, but just lost in the shuffle in this card. And I don't feel like it was as good as, I guess they had the SmackDown match, which was really good. Then they had the over the limit match, which I think was their best match. Unless I'm forgetting one, which is pro, which I probably am. You would be better to uh, recollect the matches that they've had. And then they had the one last month, which was good. And I thought the, this one was kind of on the levels last month, but Christian and Randy Orton um, was, was, you know, very good on this show. And uh, it's just because of all the other stuff around it, you know, it's been really forgotten. Right. I mean, um, yeah, it was another very good match in their series, you know, which um, I really have to say, you know, for the type of ending that they went with, you know, uh, a lot of people would look on paper and say, Oh, DQ and a title switch, you know, the TNA ending, but in the cost, in the context of the story, it actually really does make a lot of sense because it's like Christian has been doing his best to get under Randy Orton's skin, uh, you know, since turning heel. And the way that Randy Orton has been trying to suppress himself from uh, going back into his, uh, I suppose you could say, vindictive state, you know, when they've talked about his anger management issues, um, and the way that he just went nuts on Christian after this match. I personally was going wild for, I mean, I have uh, been a vocal, I mean, like I've not been into Randy Orton for a long time. I I made that pretty vocal, but pretty much ever since the series with punk, 
he has been really sure. stepping up his game in terms of his performances with the likes of Punk, Christian, and even uh, some uh, the SmackDown matches with Sheamus. Like he's been uh, showing a lot more promise in terms of his in-ring performance, and it's really a title thing considering that the Chicago crowd at the very beginning of this match were booing Orton and cheering Christian. And when he went nuts at the end of this, it was a complete 180, and Orton was probably the most over thing on the show up until that point. Yeah, I thought the reactions were great to this match, not only for, you know, the reasons you mentioned, but at the finish, like, they knew that Christian won the belt because of the low blow, and they knew that finish was coming, and they were so excited, and it's like, how often do you have, you know, a DQ title switch type of finish, and the crowd's just going crazy? Um, but yeah, I mean... They've had a really good series of matches, um, and I just thought this one got kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I was going to say something else, but uh, go ahead. I mean, well, it's just also uh, it's pretty nifty to say as well. Um, whether uh, some people may look differently on it than I do, it's very cool to say that uh, Christian has now been in half of pay-per-view main events. You know, since right. uh, obviously you can attribute it to Edge leaving, but but right. that's and- that. I mean, it's. And I was going to briefly mention Orton overall in that he has been working with Punk and Christian. So, like, I'm not totally... I mean, he obviously it takes two people to have a match, so I'm going to give him a certain amount of credit. And I haven't seen the SmackDown matches with Sheamus. Hopefully they're better than the pay-per-view matches they had, you know, last year, um, which I assume they were. But, um, yeah, I mean, and he's had how many good matches with Christian this year. So I'm not, like, totally on board with, you know, like... The, uh, you know, with Orton, I mean, I still think he's, like, very kind of bland and boring in some instances, but, um, you know, can't take away from, you know, the pay-per-view matches he's had this year. Certainly. I mean, uh, on note of the Sheamus uh, matches, I mean, there was one particular match that they had that was a no-DQ match that, in my opinion, was one of the better TV matches that, I would, that I've seen this year. Actually, on level with some of the Christian matches, so if you have not seen that, I would highly encourage checking it out. But, um, uh, and then the remainder of the card was actually the Raw Money in the Bank match, which, like I said, I mean, um, I didn't have a lot of high expectations for in comparison to the SmackDown one. I mean, I personally fully expected uh, just Del Rio to win, and that was that, which did end up happening. I mean, um, I personally, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, like, initially when it first happened, I didn't know how I felt about it, just simply based off the fact that I thought he was going to cash in on Punk at the end of the show. But right. since that did not happen, I'm more okay with it now. It, but um, and now Del Rio, he is he in the uh, Raw tournament? Did he make the finals? Uh, no, he actually lost in the first okay. round to Kofi. Okay. See, because I was thought I thought there would be like some sort of element where they could like give the belt to like Del Rio with the money in the bank or the briefcase. I think that would be cool. But there's like actually a lot of different ways they could go with it. Um, I mean, I fully expected Del Rio to win this match, and he did. As far as, like, the matches goes, like you said, like, the first one was a real wild card, and this one was just, like, completely predictable. And just in terms of matches, I thought this one was, like, much more of, like, a clusterfuck, I guess, which is really easy to happen when, you know, you have nine, eight, nine guys, and you have, you know, 15 ladders. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this, but, like, people actually like this match more than the SmackDown one, which I cannot comprehend to any level, but... You know, right. I mean, like, uh, I mean, in terms of Del Rio as well, you figure he basically <laughs> been the uncrowned champion for now, like the last seven months. Because it's sure. like he won the Royal Rumble. Um, 
he would have won at WrestleMania if not, you know, for the fact that Edge had to go out with his swan song. Then because Edge had to go out with his swan song, then uh, he was going to win the belt at Extreme Rules, but that didn't happen. Christian won it there. And now he's got money in the bank and is uh, expected to end up winning the title any day now. I personally still feel SummerSlam, perhaps. But, um, I, you know, and it, it's hard to, I mean, I guess, you know, how many weeks until SummerSlam? I guess it's like, I guess they have three Rawls left or four Rawls. Um, I feel like in, the main event was like originally supposed to be Del Rio and Cena, and that, feel, that feels like so far out of the realm, but I, I feel like they could still kind of actually do that match. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the money in the bank guarantees him that he's going to win it, or the briefcase, I guess. Um, but I feel like they want it to be more of like a moment with him, and that's why maybe he didn't win at Extreme Rules of all pay-per-views, uh, or all pay-per-views, yes, I guess so. SummerSlam would be kind of, you know, much more noteworthy. And I feel like maybe that's why they've kind of held off. But uh, I guess we'll see. And I guess no later than SummerSlam, he's going to have one of the titles, or I guess the Raw title, which well, whatever they name it. I guess it'll still be the WWE title, right? Right. I mean, because now for next week's Raw, I mean, based off the tournament, we have Ray versus Miz to crown the new uh, WWE champion. And, Obviously, uh, on this Raw, if not for the main event angle, uh, most people, myself included, expected him to cash in on uh, Ray or Miz, uh, whoever were to win there, and then he would have won sure. the title then and there. But um, so I guess the goal here is to make Miz even a bigger geek by having him win and then like lose to a Money in the Bank immediately after. Well, ironically enough, um, based off the way that the tournament went on Monday, you would think that they would be pushing Miz as a face right now. Because right. he he had this match with Riley where uh, Riley worked over Miz's uh, seemingly injured knee from the Money in the Bank match, and then Miz beat him clean. Then uh, he had the match with um, uh, Kofi uh, and actually beat him clean, actually looking a bit like a badass, honestly. I mean, because by the end of the match, his mouth was bloodied, and then he's standing tall with a bloody mouth and whatnot. So, so basically you're saying that if they would have booked him like they did last night when he was the champion, he actually would have gotten over as the champion? Probably, you know. <laughs> although, I mean, uh, granted, when he was champion, they were booking him as a heel guy that could not win on his own. But right. yet on the tournament, he was able to win on his own. Granted, it was over <laughs> guys like Kofi Kingston and Alex Riley, you know. But And Riley's already beat him how many times? Like three times? Thereabouts. And it's like... <laughs> I mean, Riley, to me, was like the guy that I sort of wanted to win Money in the Bank since at least it would help give him a bit of a push, you know, you know, this character. And now it's like, is his push done already? <laughs> oh, of course it is, because he was getting over. So, and I mean, I think the story of the match was he worked over, like, Miz's knee, and then he just, like, looked like a geek because Miz got up and hit the his finisher, and that was that. And I mean, I'm sure at this point Miz is going to go on to whatever, and, or actually, I guess they could do a stipulation match with SummerSlam. That, that would be natural, I guess, but... Right. I mean, granted, we're already probably going to have a stipulation match and Christian Orton, which I would imagine will probably be no DQ, you know. Sure. So then they'll have, uh, they'll have their own little war going on on there. I mean, so... Remains to be seen, at least, but, I mean, right now, I mean, I would say WWE has been... Pretty interesting, at least on certainly the Raw side of things, due to this whole Punk Cena dynamic, and now we now have Vince McMahon, uh, Vince McMahon's character seemingly written out, 
you know, with okay. Triple H stepping in. And, um, you know, I'm I'm pretty interested to see where it goes. I mean, and then yeah, I, mean back I, I think that's the best way to go in terms of on Raw is just like the kind of interesting factor and not really having your hopes or I think a lot of people are just disappointed because they don't know where it's going, if that makes any sense. Uh, so rather than be intrigued, they're just kind of pissed off because they couldn't predict it or it doesn't make sense immediately. Um, and, you know, I thought Punk as well, you know, that was really much a lose-lose situation. You were going to have people that were going to be disappointed because there was absolutely zero follow-up. And then you're going to have people that were disappointed because he did show up, um, if he did show up. So, um, like myself, because that would make no sense in terms of the storyline. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going on right now. And, I mean, you know, Money in the Bank, obviously, historically, could be is like a top five. It, historically, it could – I mean, it was a very good pay-per-view and could still very well easily be like a top five for a lot of people. But historically, I mean, it could ultimately mean a lot more depending, you know, what, what the outcome, I guess, of this uh, CM Punk, Cena, you know, McMahon, Triple H saga is. Right. I mean, it's certainly the very least, you know, uh, it's one of those shows that you can compare to, like, a Canadian Stampede or uh, Heat Wave 98 are, like, the two examples that I can really think of offhand. I just had, like, these uh, six matches, really. I mean, uh, granted, on Money in the Bank, you had this women's match. That, I mean, it was fine. I mean, but uh, everything else that was supposed to be good, over-delivered, I would say. Or Well, I mean, maybe not the raw money in the bank, but still, everything that was supposed to deliver, delivered in very good fashion. And there were six matches on the show, so you have a very, just like, it, it was well-paced. It moved really well. It was really easy to watch. And like, as you said, every match more than delivered, um, which is a real testament. And, uh, you know, we're not going to throw ratings out there, but it was just, every match was very good. And again, with the main event, it was like, I expected it to be, a, a spectacle of sorts because of the crowd. And, you know, I would have been just excited with Punk leaving through the crowd with the title and not showing up for, you know, the next month or two or however long it ultimately will be. But then to have that match just blew me away. So I was, I'm more than stoked going forward. Uh, but I gotta, I gotta say that, uh, I don't have a lot of high hopes because, you know, it's WWE, it's mainstream wrestling and they've kind of set this standard, but, uh, I'm going in with, uh, you know, an immense amount of optimism. So I hope uh, I hope I can continue to be excited like I have been, you know, the last month. Right. And uh, there you have it. I mean, you know, uh, Money in the Bank, certainly I would say, you know, uh, pay-per-view of the year so far. You got a really uh, rather good TNA pay-per-view of the year. You got a couple of good Ring of Honor shows. I mean, and actually, you know, more good wrestling coming up in the future. I mean, just this weekend alone, we got PWG 8 uh, coming up which is Absolutely. looking rather stellar. Guys <laughs> are two, all PWG shows, let's be honest. Yeah, of course. I mean, two Kevin Steen matches, both very different from each other and both very awesome. <laughs> Not only of which, Kevin Steen is going to be showing up, I guess, a week from last night uh, on the 26th. So he at Evolve in New York City, and he's going to have an open mic. So right. who knows what Kevin Steen's going to say. An Evolve show headlined by Sammy Callahan versus Finley. Yes. I, I don't. How do you feel about that show, though? How do you feel about it? I'm, I'm not like totally convinced in like buying it at this point. But I mean, I, I, mean, I assume uh, I'll impulse buy. But I, mean, I honestly have not entirely kept up with the uh, with the card entirely. <laughs> I know I know that yeah. Brightmare has uh, recently been taken out of his match. It was him and uh, Jigsaw versus uh, Cheech and Cloudy. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, and, um, Gargano yeah, and Taylor, I believe, is the uh, main event. Technically, but the big headline is obviously Sammy and Fit. So, 
Right. I mean, um, and then I guess another like, big match on, at least for me, the selling point on the show is John Davis and Bobby Fish. Oh, well, that should be rather good as well. I mean, um, I, I'm just more than inter- anything interested in seeing uh, if they do actually keep Finley around for upcoming shows. I know he's actually going to WXW in August, and he's actually wrestling Eric Cannon at one of the shows, I believe. At the Ace Arena? I uh, no 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 no. Oh, just <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, in Germany. Yeah, I believe. Uh, I could be wrong. I know he's at least going to be there. I don't know if that match was confirmed or not. But um, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. you know, when mainstream wrestling hits, you know, when they have kind of even if it's just for like a week, you kind of call it a boom. Even though the raw rating has to be seen as a bit of a disappointment, it did get a three point two, which is essentially like no jump or no no decline. Um, well, I guess it was taped two weeks ago, so it was a jump compared to that, but uh, not to normal. Um, but, you know, when you have, like, good things happening in mainstream, it's obviously going to put a lot more buzz and a lot more into, you know, the indie shows that uh, and, and the promotions that we like to follow, and you hope it means better things for them. So, you know, I'm looking forward to PWG, obviously, when I get to see it on DVD in six months, and uh, Evolve next week, so watch it on my pay-per-view, and really excited. Exactly. You know, and... Uh... Whereas, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's just always very funny to me because, like, right now, you got WWE being very interesting. You got a few very interesting things going on in Ring of Honor. And, you know, we put over Destination X quite a bit, but TNA, like, you got Aries Shelley, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's TNA, so. <laughs> yeah, well, it is what it is, but, um,. That, I would say, concludes our edition of Free Admission for Real tonight. We will keep everyone informed of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash freeadmissionforreal. Like us on uh, Free Admission SR, that is. Like us on Facebook. And for Ben Turpin, I'm Jacob Nichols. We will see you very soon.